This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of I Want to Matter. Your life is too short and too precious to waste. Written and narrated by New York Times bestseller Kathy Lee Gifford. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. So, Jamar, we've been on this Heal Black Man series, and I'm really excited to continue it. I hope it's been encouraging for you. I hope it's been encouraging for the people who have been watching. Word. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Okay, so now you want me to do the main <laughs> intro? All right, here we go. <laughs> Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pastor Mike Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Burns Clan. Follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the president, uh, excuse me, the founder. <laughs> I just almost put myself out of a job. Old school. Yes. You want it back? Throw you want it back. No, you got it. You got it. It's the founder of The Witness. He has a very extensive bio. He is the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Dr. Jamar Tisby. What's going on, bro? I am continually getting into good trouble. I encourage you to figure out what I'm trying to do hmm. at jamartisby.substack.com. I like that. Yeah, good trouble. <laughs> good trouble. I think this Heal Black Man series has been good trouble, too. I think it's yeah. troubled our souls, Yeah. Uh, maybe disturbed us in a healthy way, and maybe hopefully opened up some healthy things for us to kind of think through, process, That's right. That's right. and heal from. I think one of the things that we should remind folks is that- as we get healthy, it has ripple effects in our surroundings. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so although we're talking and speaking directly about healing black men, in our healing lies the healing of our community. That's good. Lies the healing yeah. of our culture, right? Not to center it all on black men. It's all of us getting healed is going to help others heal. But I just wanted to highlight that as we focus on integrating and wholeness and health in our lives, it lends itself to that happening to the people around us and even to the systems and structures around us. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because you talk about culture and the cultural expectation and image of Black men has shifted so dramatically throughout history, but especially over the last, I think, 10 years. Hmm. We've had a different shift because of police violence, because of, you know, recovering from the backlash or I should say white lash yeah. from a black president, all the things that we're involved in, you know, culturally, spiritually, yeah. church wise, yeah. it seems as though the image of black men, which is always something that we talk about. Yeah. But I think it needs to be reframed to dive into it. Yeah. because of these perceptions. It was, it was striking to me. And obviously this is something that we didn't necessarily talk about here on the podcast, I don't know why we didn't. I think it was just because we don't talk about everything that happens in the culture or, right. you know, it's and a lot of different things that have happen. an opinion on everything right away. <laughs> yeah. So we want to kind of process it a little bit, but I think, I think it is definitely a striking reality when Will Smith at the Oscars <laughs> slaps Chris, Chris Rock. You said a striking reality. Yeah. I mean, no I'm, glad pun intended. I'm glad you caught that, but <laughs> it was very, it was a striking reality because seriously, i I feel like the response to it yeah. was so, it was really a Rorschach test, but it was also beyond that. It was something that was so polarizing in the in the need and the necessity to deliver consequence. Mm. And there was a need to punish him. Mm. 
And it's almost like this very interesting reality when I'm watching sports, you know, the need to humble the black athlete. Wow. The need put to, in place. to put them in their place. And that's not to say at all. Like, I, I feel like what Will Smith did was toxic. And I feel like it was unhealthy. And I think it was from an unhealed place. If you read his autobiography, his memoir, he talks about some of these things, right? Mm-hmm. And why it's... And so that gave extra layers to even how you think about it, yep. right? But hurt that people, image... Hurt people. Yeah, that, but Yeah, but that image, though, it's just... Hurt people can be healed. Absolutely. And that image of what people started to say about black men as a result of a situation with two black men in public was so, it was overwhelming. It was secondary trauma, it felt like. Yes. And it also felt like it was the regurgitation of so much frustration I have with the conversations around black men yep. from people who are not within our community. Who are not and do not in have. Do not have do not have any investment in that's the key in our health. Yep. Yep. Not yep. in commentary about us, not in critique of us, but do not have any investment of within our health and towards our health. And it made me very uncomfortable to be a black man watching people talk about black men as though <laughs> they had the magical answers to what right. should happen in this situation and could distill down what this meant and how to, I was like uh, and we okay. should acknowledge like this has for centuries been the case right where with black men in particular we're valued for our physical attributes or our entertainment value right so you're valued during enslavement for your your muscles for what you could do you're valued in a sense for um how you can reproduce and increase mm-hmm. uh, a slaveholder's quote unquote property and black women even more so obviously but also valued for entertainment value it's stuck in my brain that scene from Django right where they're forcing them to fight you know for entertainment value and in so many ways, you know, uh, that, that the, the, the Netflix television show Colin in Black and White opens with this really striking scene of NFL players mm-hmm. comparing it to slavery mm-hmm. and valuing, again, black men's bodies the for their yeah, strength yeah, yeah. And, and all of those things. And then, of course, when you don't have the systemic an institutional control mechanism of race-based chattel slavery, it's not like black men could be free at that point. Mm -hmm. They just found different ways to control us, namely through incarceration. And I'm really excited about an interview I just did with Jimmy Butts, who was formerly incarcerated, black man, Christian scholar. And he's talking about that actual experience where they're literally controlling black bodies and what you don't see in the headlines, what you don't see on the news and the reality behind what that's really like. And then to move it forward, even into the 21st century, as you're saying, in the past decade, since Trayvon Martin, most notably in terms of really sort of um, spurring a renewed attention on the image or the portrayal of black men in the culture, we have still the main issue that's coming up is anti-black police brutality perpetrated against black bodies, but that leads into all of these other 
issues right. of and it's so much deeper than that it's so much deeper than that it's and it's not just it's not just that i think it's also there's there's this weird we are in a very strange discourse when it comes to black men i think of what people perceive to be strong black men or or vocal black men i should say mm-hmm. take like a dr umar you know a kevin samuels a charlemagne yeah. the god you know, these are these are people who are voices that speak loudly. Yeah. But then people draw conclusions of all black men based upon these examples right. of black men. Absolutely. And their perception of what this is or who this is. And so I think I'm I'm most frustrated because many of us don't feel the freedom and permission to be fully ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people understand how restraining us, to use another term restraining us and restraining the full expression of who we are in health um, health. is what literally destroys our community. My goodness. And it's what literally destroys, it plants the seeds of destruction. And so I I think we are in a perilous moment for black men who feel ashamed of themselves Mm. because of a cultural expectation. That's right. And a cultural expression of who they should be or could be or can't be. As a result of what people see and what people say. It's like a cultural incarceration. I mean, it feels like we're trapped in the images that people foist on us. And then we feel like we, in some sense, have to either fit in or refute those images. But all of it is in sort of response and reaction to what someone else has said about us or portrayed about us. Hey everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pastor Mike, but let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Pastor Mike. And for just $1 an episode. Just a dollar? Now that's the bare minimum. That's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, you can go 10, higher. 15, right. 20, 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening, but you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash Pass the mic. We appreciate you. This is sort of related, but as you were speaking, it reminded me of this sort of chatter on social media of calling Russell Wilson corny. Yeah, can we talk about that? (laughs) Yeah, we got to talk about that. You know what I'm talking about? I do. Absolutely. Because, you know, he's married to Sierra, you know, uh, artist and entrepreneur in her own right. But they look at him and they're saying, you know, he's boring. You know, he he's a family man. He doesn't do anything dramatic. He's faithful and, you know, just not flamboyant or these these big voices out there like you you referenced before. And the way some people were talking about it was like it, it was as a negative. Now, granted, other people came along and said, no, that's that's dope. That's cool. You know, that's fine. But what was your thought? It's tricky. It's tricky. <laughs> it's tricky. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of, I think these conversations are in-house conversations. And so when people put them out, I, I always am like, mm-hmm. because someone's cultural it's almost like, man, this is getting deep. It's almost like <laughs> when you call someone 
not a sellout, but the other word, the four letter word that starts with a uh-huh, C. Uh huh. Um, a coon. When you call someone that, that's an in house conversation, right? Because we're talking about a reality of what we feel or people within our our context feel is someone going beyond the line and selling out and rejecting caring about their culture Mm -hmm. in order to benefit themselves. Right. And people get upset when you call that out. Because again, that's a cultural expectation. You're not supposed to say, oh, well, that person is selling out. Or that person is taking a check, or that person is being around somebody. And there's a there's definitely a sliding scale. It's definitely subjective. I don't think it's objective. But at the same time, that's an in yeah, that's, that's not an in conversation. That's not meant for anybody other people. outside our community. But then also the whole concept and conversation around Russell Wilson, I said what they said is toxic. Hmm. Because they're they're calling him, you know, corny for what he hasn't done. <laughs> right. Right. So that that that's toxic. But yet it's true that he could be a stand-up, good, faithful black man, and according to certain standards within our culture, not be seen as acceptable or accepted. Mm. Mm. And that's just the way of the culture. Right. right. <laughs> the culture this is, is the culture. not new. Right. Like yeah. this, it is what it is. People will be like, oh, you're a pastor, you you corny. Probably. <laughs> I mean, but does that also probably. glorify some other kind of behavior Perhaps. that may not even be healthy? Perhaps, but it's also a product of where people grew up. Yes. So if you if you like, yo, you went to a private Christian school, you a square. I'm like, well, probably, yeah. According <laughs> I mean, to your according to though. according to where you come from, yeah. sure. Yeah. And I'm not offended that you call me that because I have enough. I have enough acceptance within myself and respect for myself to know that even though you might call me that, that doesn't mean that your your description of me is final. Right. But I can push back and say, oh, so is it because I didn't do this, 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 and this? Exactly. Yeah. And so that makes me less of a black man. That's why I think it's complicated. Yes, it is complicated. I mean, so you have enough respect for yourself not to you know, internalize what other people are saying about you necessarily. But I will also say also to recognize different people have different standards. And so like a different black men come from different places, different spaces. So for example, it's even true in the Christian Christian space. So people be like, yeah, you, you know, you go here or you, you this. So you take, for example, preaching, you don't hoop. Uh Uh-huh. So it's like, ah, he ain't really preaching. People say that. Yeah. He ain't really preaching. He can't hoop. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, I can't preach then. (laughs) Cool. According to your standard, I'm not for you. Like, so this is like, if, if some, I feel like people were unnecessarily, they were correctly calling out the toxicity and unnecessarily coming to the defense of someone who was like, it doesn't mean that. Now, all of a sudden, all black men are saying, well, if you're a good parent, you corny. That's not necessarily what that meant. They were talking about him in-house. This is the problem with, with outhouse conversations. It's in-house. So we're having a conversation about what. And so people are like, oh, you guys are doing this. And he's a good man. He's He might be corny according to that standard. He might be corny according to where they grew up. It is what it is. Yeah. I mean, I'm just like. Are we still responding and reacting to external 
definitions of who we can and can't be. Right? Of course. No, without so, a doubt. This is the whole point of healing the image. Exactly. Because if we are sort of, you know, thinking about our thinking, we're metacognitive about, okay, why am I calling someone corny? What assumption goes into that about what it is to be a black man and how to behave as a, and where are those assumptions coming from? Because I think not only would it be healthy not to let yourself be defined by what someone calls you, but it's healthy also to say they may be different. That doesn't mean it's negative. There's actually room. Absolutely. There's ex- Without a doubt. There's, there's room for expansive expression of what it means to, to live as a black man, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I want us to get to the point of like, yeah, I came out of this context and where I come from, that would not fly. But I know it's different. So you do you kind of a thing. No, no, I think that's totally fair. Yeah. And I think people that push back rightfully in that context. But here's here's my question is, what's the root of that description of Russell Wilson? What's the root of them describing him that way? That's precisely the point, right? What's the root? No, but but the reason I ask that question is because I think, I feel like one of the main reasons why they think he's corny is white supremacy. <laughs> so I was going to say- That's why I say, that's why I say what I say, because now this is my problem, is yes. now people will come in- and say, look at these black men. Right. And I'm saying, no, that's toxic. And mm. and them saying that he doesn't, he doesn't, no, I'm saying that what they said is toxic. Mm-hmm. No, it is toxic. So them saying he's corny because he doesn't do this. No, that's toxic. That's, I, I don't agree with that, but I understand it cognitively because the situations that white supremacy created. Yes. This is why I don't understand. I'm just being, we here, right? I don't understand why black men submit themselves in a white church context that is not intending well i i don't i don't agree with them doing that say more submitting in a white church context that is not intent on changing i don't agree with that mm. but i understand it mm. i understand why you would do that i don't agree with it i think you should get out i think you should leave loud tonight <laughs> but but i understand it so I have a cognitive understanding because the way white supremacy works, the way white evangelicalism works, you have thought over the course of decades that this is where you're supposed to be and this is what you're supposed to do. I'm talking about people on staff who are, you know, rocking out on stage, card carrying. I'm like, okay, well, you know, it, it is what it is. Like, that's <laughs> a, I understand why you think you need to be there. I don't necessarily agree with you being there because I think you could flourish somewhere else, but- yeah. I understand it because demographics, area, life, Absolutely. all kinds of things. You might not have a black church or a, a predominantly black church in your vicinity. It happens. And that's, you know, we've talked about this extensively. That's that's my journey in many ways. But that's the thing, not agreeing, but still being able to understand. Sure. Is the cultural, it's the in-house and black male conversations are so broken because of the outside gaze and because of the outside and because of the white gaze. Right, right. That we cannot have these honest conversations about what is happening within us and also how things may not be as bad in some areas and actually could be a lot worse in other areas. Mm. Like, so our description and our connection and our relationships with women, I think are a lot worse than what we think they are. Mm. But we can't. You see what I'm saying? I I feel like we 
talk about the white gaze, but 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 actually it's something that is so pervasive and powerful, we constantly have to to level set. In be, because it's going to creep in the default is to behave as if we are constantly under the white gaze, which in many ways we are. And that can subtly but powerfully motivate or shape our actions and perspectives. And in completely opposite ways, but with the same root. So one manifestation of reacting under the white gaze is to completely lean into the stereotypes they foisted on us, right? Oh, that's what you say about me? Fine, whatever. Forget about it. I'm going to do it. Another way to respond and react under the white gaze is, no, I'm not what you say I am. And I'm going to hustle and pursue all of these sort of distinctions and, and qualifications to show you I'm not what you say I am. Now, they manifest in totally different ways, but they're coming from the same root, which is to try to defy a definition that someone else is putting yes. on you. Yes. So my concern is that we get away from that and the questions we start asking is this healthy for me? Right. Is this toxic sure. for me? Which can, those questions can be asked apart from what p- white people say, think, or do, or how they portray us. Yes. And I think they must be asked with distance from whiteness. Mm, now that's the crux. And this is why I'm getting at what I'm getting at is because I think that people were harsh towards Will Smith. And I think that people were, were harsher towards Will Smith. And I think that those podcasters and former athletes described Russell Wilson the way that they did, both because of the same reason, their proximity to whiteness. Whoa. So you're saying black people's assessment of these situations and individuals. Is, well, and and not just black people's assessment, because in Will Smith, that's a universal, it's kind of a group assessment. Yeah. But but it's a communal, like cultural assessment. I think it's because of their proximity to whiteness. So what I'm saying is this. Because so what, of Will's proximity. Yes, in, in one way Russell's and Russell's proximity in okay. another way. Okay. Okay. So you see, what I'm saying is simply this. It's shaping how we think of ourselves. That our proximity to whiteness and our not white people, whiteness. It's a distinction. Not white people, not having friends with what that's not what I'm talking about. Our proximity to the systemic reality of whiteness in our churches, in Hollywood, in the sports world, in our relationships, in our perceptions, that that is shaping how we talk about one another. Okay. And it's also shaping our collective view of black men. All right. So apply that to the Will Smith situation. No. So he's in Hollywood. Yeah. Don't make us look bad in front of them. It's right. in front of them. Okay. That's what people literally said. You're making us look bad in front of them. Yes. It was national articles written by black men to, to Will Smith saying, literally, they're, they're going to look at us differently now. And I'm saying, what does that have to do with the situation itself? The situation can be what the situation is by itself. And we can critique it. We can say there's consequences that are deserved, all the above. But I'm saying that what makes it hard for us to heal is we're so, we're connected to this system. What are they going to think of us? What are they, and, and not even what are they going to think, but also our feeling of what now is going to happen to us as a result of what someone else has done. Because we're always thought of as a group. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes. Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, yes, yes. I yes. took you around the curve to get there, Jamar. <laughs> but I'm just saying. I mean, well, with the Will Smith situation, that part was really 
it was a minor key for me. It was present. You could hear it. But it was a minor key for me because what I was looking at was the in-house conversation that black people were having among black people about defense of black women oh, supporting no, black you women. Heal. Right? You heal. That's why you, you know. Heal. Why, of course, you healing. Heal. Um, heal, black man. <laughs> but, but, but here's the other part I found so fascinating. We focused on Will Smith and his action, and there was almost no response or attention, comparatively speaking, to Chris Rock as the victim of an attack. Right. Because we can we 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 can conceptualize a black man as the perpetrator of violence in some sort. But it's much harder for us, particularly in public discourse, to conceptualize of a black man as the recipient yeah. of violence from it's, other black men. And 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 especially and then comes the white gaze part, right? Yeah, no, How that's you have this conversation tricky. in public. And what do you do about a black man who is hurt? That's very tricky. And what did dignity, Chris Rock have to do? Was, yeah. He had to keep on going. He had to smile. He had to get through it. And, and that's even, so that was the unhealed part of me is like, is he really, is he really a victim? I mean, is he really? And then you're like, well, yeah, I mean. Dude got slapped on he got, international TV. He got slapped. He got assaulted. Yeah. And I, I even, so see, I even hesitate even, even saying that. Like, oh, he got assaulted. But he did. He got, definition. he got slapped. Yeah. So that's even a part of me that I'm like, ah, oh, man, I still got to heal him. Can we name it? Of, can you we know? name yeah. those things? Yeah. And, and so what hmm. do we do with black men who have been wounded and sometimes in very public ways? Yeah. And, and, and even we as wounded people won't say it. I didn't like, I also didn't like when, and this is another area of healing, when Will looked at we received that best actor award which I, I don't think people understand how strange like this is all time strange very much so he he does this he doesn't leave they don't kick him out for whatever reason and then he receives the best actor award i mean it's like a crowning achievement of a career <laughs> yeah in his career and and it's like oh yeah uh, you know he's up there kind of crying and doesn't directly apologize but then he uses Richard Williams. Uh, and I don't know all of Richard Williams' story, so maybe it's like, oh, this makes sense. But it was just kind of felt weird, like, well, you know, people are going to think I'm Richard Williams now. And I'm like, don't use him to – if I were Venus and Serena, I'd be like, why are you using my dad's name? And he wasn't a perfect man or whatever. Why are you using my dad's name with this and connecting this to that? And maybe it's something I, I'm not aware of, but it was just – it felt strange to even use a black man to cover – what you've done. Mm. I was like, why are you mm. saying that? Where does this come from? Is this, uh, this may be part of the, the healing that we're talking about is many people celebrated the action. Many people celebrated the slap because he was, we need more black men to, to, to stand up and defend the honor. Right. And, and, and to, to have the back of black women and to support them. I, it wasn't original, but I, I did see someone say, how beautiful would it have been if in response to that joke, he he stood up and kissed his wife's head? Oh, my. Oh, my. And is, is a slap what you need? Mm. Or is affirmation what you need? Is love what you need? Is love what we need to get better at showing? 
because it's actually easy. I mean, we have, you know, bell hooks, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's actually easy for us to go to violence. Yeah. It's easy for black men to go there. But it's, what, what would it be if we, we were easier in showing vulnerability and affection? Affection. If we were showing affection rather than violence. And if we, rather if we did, aggression. if we did an expression of care rather than an expression of, of aggressive dominance. So. This is one of the things that oppression does is it exact, constricts exact. our imagination. And here's let me say something that's very important. The church does not do a healthy or good job of recapturing and reframing black manhood. Hmm. Hmm. We don't do a good job hmm. of that. We we need to we need to recover that because Yo. oftentimes it's extremes and the extremes that we have are extremes of Either high education and, and intelligence, or force, mm. and there's there's very little in between yep. for the creator, for the artisan, for the cultivator, for um, the emotional affectionate, for the for the ones who who do intangible work, yeah, for the ones who work with their hands. But but why don't we have, have more black male teachers? Yeah, for the ones who teach therapists, therapists, the you know, soft, quote unquote, soft skills that people talk about. I just, the, the church has done a very poor job. And this is something I've been convicted of as well. The church has just done a terrible job of helping the black men, helping black men to reframe themselves in light Bro, of, look, this, within the community. This is so deep because I would say, particularly in black churches, if there is an emphasis on manhood or self the image of, of manhood. It's, it's, it's very much honor. It's about honor. It's about honoring your elders. It's about, um, honoring young people and Which bringing them up. Which can be problematic. Right. Because yeah. honor is one thing, but, but it's not exactly affection. It's not no, exactly emotional, it's not. right? It is not. And then here's the other layer that, that just gatekeeping. It can be very much so gatekeeping. Um, and it can be cold. I mean, yes. you can, it can be ceremonial. Like you can go through the motions without any sort of heart behind it. But here's the other aspect, getting back to your point earlier about being in white churches. If even black churches struggle or do a poor job helping black men view themselves healthier, what possibly? What could, yeah. And it's not because I'm talking about white churches here. And it's not because of the melanin in their skin. It's because of their unfamiliarity with the experience right. on a right. deep level. Right. So, so imagine being, and this was me, being in a predominantly white church setting and trying to develop messages about who you are in the midst of a society that's giving you constant sort of negative or dehumanizing messages. And we are learning from and being discipled by Folks who have no concept of that experience, right. how can I develop a healthy sense of myself as a black man in the midst of that? And I think we, so many of us who are in that situation don't realize what we're lacking hmm. or how much of a deficit there is. This is why I think figures like Malcolm X stand out so much mm -hmm. because he was doing the work of healing Apart from that proximity Apart to whiteness. Apart from that's G, that's the you yeah. know, we have to we have to have distance at some point. 
as we're reframing and rebuilding and recapturing and restoring. We have to have distance. And I think that's what scares a lot of people. And I want to name something because I think it scares a lot of people because if I step away from the community that has done the framing and step back into the community that's supposed to be doing the restoring, and this is the challenge for us, will I be accepted? Mm. Are you tainted in some way? Will I be accepted? And everyone has their standards and their, you know, their preferences and what who they consider to be an ideal prototype man, the archetype of manhood. We talked about Kangs, you know, <laughs> last year. You know, everybody has their Kangs that they look up to. But the question that's gonna really be for the Will Smiths, the Chris Rocks, the the athletes, the Russell Wilsons, the Jamars, the Tylers, like, are we going to really accept one another? As we reframe and rebuild and restore and acknowledge that, yes, you can do harm to us by your proximity yeah. to whiteness. You can do harm to us by your proximity. But but will we accept one another in the process of those who truly desire to be healed and desire to reframe themselves and who we are as men, as black, beautiful black men apart from this? And if we're we're committing to that project. Who will be with us and who will accept us? So here's an even another level to this whole thing. Are we afraid of our power? Hmm. Yes. Without a doubt. <laughs> because this is a brazy conversation. This is wild, bro. We did not know it was going to hit this, this level. Because um, what I'm thinking of is... If we engage in this work of healing, we will change. We will carry ourselves differently. We will walk differently. We sure. will talk differently. Part of it is fear of, I don't know who that person is or what's going to happen or, or any, but I think part of it is also, if I start to move in this way, in my fully embodied blackness as a man in this society, it is disruptive. Yes. It, th it's dangerous. There's almost nothing more disruptive than a self-possessed, confident black man in any environment. Mm -hmm. It will invite conflict. Mm -hmm. It will invite change. Of course. And that's a that's a that's a, a load to bear in and of itself. But it's a more appropriate load to bear mm -hmm. than the one of trauma or toxicity or or adopting yeah. somebody else's definition it's of you. One. And I'm just like. Man, when when we actually know who we are as image bearers in the Lord, fully embodied as black men, and we walk into a room, it changes it changes the atmosphere in so many cases, whether it's an all black atmosphere or a white one or whatever. And I just think we're almost afraid to lean into that because mm. <laughs> it is so disruptive. That's helpful. That's helpful. That's very challenging. That's very challenging. I, I think even for those who are in white spaces, it's not for some of them, they can't change their proximity to whiteness and their proximity to structures and systems of whiteness. And that may not be the, the immediate call, but the call might be you have to get away at some point and find out who you are apart from them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you, if you, if you can do that. 
And if we can, as I write the budgetary proposal <laughs> in the next two weeks, and if we, <laughs> and if we can get away yeah. and help others discover that and help others reframe that and help others reimagine themselves as fully black, fully Christian, fully man, mm. we should do that too. You know, we talked about it, but I think that's what we need to recover this image together Ooh. and reframe this image together. And so even if like you're like, man, I can't me. get out. I can't, I can't get out. I'm here. I'm there. Y'all know me, man. I, y'all know me. I know y'all. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I ain't saying just, uh, you know, y'all, man, I'm, I shouldn't be here and all this. You know the heart of what I'm saying. The heart of what I'm saying is at some point in time, get away from there and find out who you are apart from them. Hope, preferably, hopefully with us. With other black men who are on the journey of healing. And I think that's been a that's been a revelation. I think that's where the recovery truly starts. That's where healing starts. So we need somebody to fund the retreat. <laughs> Listen, so here's the thing, here's the thing, y'all. Like this is this is all well and good. Like, what are the obstacles to actually being able to do yeah, retreats yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah, like that? Yeah. It is really money. It really is. And so we will we will do significant things. We have fellows. There is your money went toward fellows. <laughs> like Doing we will work. put the money towards the thing. But if you have a burning desire to fund a retreat, yeah. Help us fund a retreat. You know, Black like help us getting together, figuring out who Because we're we gonna do it regardless and we gotta pull it out of our own pockets. We're gonna do it. We always have, so <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna do it. I'm just saying, yeah. So this is I feel like this series has helped to start some healthy conversations and maybe there's an AMA and some other things that we could yeah, yeah. have There's a as lot well, to unpack here. We're, we're starting the healing process for sure. Heal black man. Heal black man together. This episode was brought to you in part by The Compelled Podcast, which uses gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. Listen to missionaries, addicts, martyrs, and more who have seen Jesus at work in unbelievable ways. Listen on your podcast app or compelledpodcast.com.